Hello, welcome to Dementia Caregivers Community. I'm Tracy Wilson with Alzheimer's Tennessee. With me co-host Marquita Puckett, the fabulous caregiver extraordinaire. And we have a very special guest that Marquita will introduce in just a couple of moments. We want to remind you that Dementia Caregivers Community as well as Alzheimer's Tennessee is here for you to empower, educate, and support throughout the journey of caregiving, care partnering, whatever your preferred term is. So Marquita, we ready for today? I think we are. And we <laughs> both have been looking forward to this guest today. And and again, welcome. Welcome to our guest. Welcome to those listeners today. We call these segments Caregiver's Journey because we want them to share their stories. And that is the way we connect. When I share my story, you share yours, we connect. And oftentimes, as we have said, when you are a caregiver for someone living with a dementia, then you know you can connect and you can see similarities, you can see feelings, emotions, challenges that are very similar to your own. And this gentleman today, his name is Brady, and we met over a year and a half ago at a support group, and it was hosted by Alzheimer's Tennessee. And I got to tell a story about Brady. I wrote it down <laughs> the day he came, and I, I wrote it down on a piece of paper that I had because fortunately, unfortunately, I had been on the journey for quite a while as a caregiver, and Brady was just starting out. And so he was looking for our meeting room, and he came in the front entrance the first time. And, you know, I must say this certain facility has a very nice front entrance concierge area. It is pretty nice. And that's on the assisted living side. And so then he found out he had a little bit of time to kill, so he left. And when he came back, he parked, I guess, in a different place, and he came in through different doors. And when he finally got to our meeting, I don't know, we exchanged names or whatever, but, but Brady said, I opened the doors and I walked into this place and I thought, this is not the lobby. And Brady had walked into the memory care facility at this yeah. particular, and it's it's nice. It's a, it's a nice facility, but it, it was memory care. And I just laughed so hard because to me, that statement just epitomized the whole journey of a caregiver. He just went, this, I said to myself, this is, this not, is not yeah. the lobby. <laughs> and so Brady, I'm so glad I got to tell that story. I've had that written down now for over a year and a half, waiting to use it. So Do you know that I did not know that there was a, a double entry. I just knew about the second entry and going through memory care. So I learned something new today too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Brady got the whole tour that day. So Brady and I, I'm thinking where we are today to get ready to hear about your story that, wow, a lot has changed for you and happened for you on your caregiver's journey since you experienced the front door main lobby and the back door entry. And I'm just saying, I think maybe you're full circle now. You have a much more enlightenment of why I laughed so hard and probably cried at the same time when you said that. So, Brady, why don't you tell us just a little bit about you, who you are, what you want to share, and most of all, who have you been 
providing or still do provide care for. Hi, Marquita. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for having me today. So I'm a caregiver to my father. My father had lived in the town he grew up in, in a remote place in southwest Virginia, and he had a brain tumor approximately 14 years ago that was fortunately non-cancerous, and they were able to excise that without any uh, adverse effects for the most part. But he did start suffering seizures after the surgery, and they put him on anti-seizure medication. As a result of that, we decided that it would make sense for him to move closer to us. He was very adamant about living on his own. He was very adamant about living near a lake because his passion was fishing. <laughs> so we, we moved him to a little town about 40 minutes south of us. And that was close enough. We could stay in touch. I could go down, help him with groceries, help him with, you know, billing, bill pay, that sort of thing. That process worked for us for approximately 12 years, 11 years. And we noticed a change in my father, but at the time we didn't know what that change was. We thought it was just basically loneliness. He was still visiting relatives in his hometown. He was still coming to see us. But there was a lot of physical decline that we noticed. And there was some mental confusion. We just didn't recognize it at the time. So fast forward to 2022, he was visiting relatives and he had an absence seizure. I will leave it to the experts to explain what that is. The people he was visiting, they understood what an absence seizure was and they immediately called me. And we get him to the hospital, and he spends three days there, and we realize there is a level of confusion that we had not seen before, and we insisted on him moving in with my wife and I. That was Memorial Day weekend of 22, and he came to live with us. In the meantime, we were still maintaining his house near the lake. We eventually got to the point where we were able to convince him that he needed to sell that property. And the only way we could get him to do that was he needed somewhere else to go. He did not want to stay in our house. He felt like he was a burden. So we were fortunate enough to be able to place him in a home across the street from us. We sold his property near the lake. So he's been able to live across the street from us since roughly October of that same year, 22. So that's been good and bad. We've been caregiver to him ever since. We would cook dinner for him. We made sure his medicine was taken care of, that sort of thing. As his disease progressed, my wife continued to tell me that we needed to talk to someone, specifically I, I love that we term, but I needed to go find somebody to talk to. So I found the Alzheimer's support group schedule. Tracy, I think I reached out to you maybe the first time mm -hmm. and, and we, you told me what the dates were and I very much begrudgingly went to that support group <laughs> meeting 
thinking that, you know, I'm doing this to appease my wife. She will finally leave me alone and let me go on about my business instead of going to all these therapy sessions is how I viewed it. <laughs> that was October, September, October of 22. And as a result of that first meeting coming in the wrong entrance or the right <laughs> entrance or multiple entrances, as have you said, Marquita, <laughs> I have done my best to not miss a meeting since because I immediately found so much value in not only the other people's stories, but just to know that there were other people going through what we were going through, yeah. knowing what we were talking about, and also giving just, at the time, it seemed like minor tips to Here's how you deal with this. Here's how you do that. Just all of those type things really became advantageous to us while we were caring for my father. As a result of that, I've been a part of the Alzheimer's support group meetings as frequently as I can be. And so here we are. Hey, Brady, I want to go back a little bit. Can you tell us what your dad's makeup, his personality before? Like when you was young, growing up, did you? Do you guys have a close relationship? Was it, you know, at an arm's length? How did that look? It was probably at arm's length. He's from a generation that, you know, the female took care of the household and the male was the breadwinner. When he had time to relax or go do his thing, which was fishing, as I've already mentioned, hmm. It was my choice to either go with him or stay at home with the women. I would describe it as arm's length. He did the best he could based on what he knew. And so, what did yeah. he do for a living, Brady? We, we grew up in coal country. So he worked uh, around the mi coal mining industry. And then when the coal mining industry took its downturn in the late 70s, he became a self-employed mechanic up until he retired. And Brady, that's one thing we have in common is I too was a caregiver for my dad not as long as you have been and my dad was a coal miner I was the only girl so you can imagine that my relationship was different probably than yours with your dad sure. so now let's fast forward a little bit so you and your wife start seeing signs you start seeing needs that are not being met that someone has got to meet in your father's life when you started feeling that shift, my dad needs me. This is not if I want to be involved. This is my dad needs me. Did he give you a pushback or did it, is it something that just came easily? Can you remember? Can you describe how that looked? Well, there was certainly an air of that male bravado of I don't need any help. I can do this myself. Surely um, not. Surely not. <laughs> Well, you know, anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't say pushback as much as just he was trying to prove that he could still do him do things for himself. And every time he would attempt to do said things for himself, it was a little bit more obvious each time that he needed help. I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but one of my biggest frustrations when he came to live with us is he had a physician that was his primary care in a very rural area of the country that was prescribing him 
multiple medications, including high doses of pain medication, and he could not manage his medicine. So when he came to live with us, he was on 14 different medicines, and he was also on a very high volume of pain medication each month. And so our first challenge was to understand why he was on all of these prescription medications and what they were really for. And that's when it became obvious, more obvious, I should say, that he needed help because he was not managing his medications. He was taking two of the 14 medications two, three, four, five times a day, whereas other medications he was taking once or twice a week. And these are medications that were supposed to have been taken either once a day or twice a day. Yeah. That was the biggest point. I don't want to say contention, but that was certainly the biggest point of, aha, we we need to help him with this. And those type of situations are safety issues also. Because you realize, you know, this is this is lethal. He's Absolutely. Mixing, he's, I call it mixing, matching, and it's lethal. And it and plus, you were probably still trying to get a true gauge on where he was cognitively and physically now that he was in your care in your home. How about when you started feeling the emotional shift of, wow, I feel like I'm the parent now and he's the son, he's the child, and I'm having to guide him and make decisions for him and try to talk to him about things. How was that shift for you? And I'm sure you're still in it. Uh, We are absolutely still in it. I think that's where the support group through Alzheimer's Tennessee was the biggest advantage for me. It allowed me to realize that a little earlier than I would have been willing to admit on my own. As a result of that, we could kind of get ahead of it and understand that, look, you need to be a little more firm with him, I guess would be the right way to say that. And you need to take this, don't take this. Tracy will laugh at this, but one of the one of the terms that I learned during support group was this therapeutic fibbing. And uh, you love that too. I do <laughs> because I have such a problem with you know. To me, mm-hmm. it's either yes or no. There is no in between. There is no maybe. I try my very best to not lie to anyone. It became very obvious during the support group conversations that. I was going to have to relax those standards just a little bit because there are times that he needed to be fibbed to is is probably the best way to say that. That that would have been a very big challenge for me had it not been for the support group. What you just described was something we had talked about on an earlier episode, Brady, and it was an inner conflict for me. It was like... I, but I want to treat him with dignity. I want, I want the very best for him, for dad and for my husband at the same time, though, that conflict of, no, this, this has to be dealt with. And you wanted to respect them. And you, but at the same time, it was causing so much conflict on the inside because, you know, there's only so much that they do understand and decisions have to be made sometimes. And so it's a, it's a, 
great source of conflict for a caregiver when it comes to making decisions, taking things away or saying, no, this is the way we're going to do things now. It's a, it's a big shift in a relationship. It sounds like you're doing fine. It's fine can be, right, Tracy? Mm-hmm. You know, it's unnatural generations upon generations upon generations of people, including myself and you as well, Marquita, have had to step into the adult role while caring for a parent. And it's, I I don't care how many people do it and how many people, it becomes a necessity to kind of step and to shift. It's still unnatural. It's unnatural to change the way that we look at a relationship in a way that we have interacted with a certain person, whether that be a parent, whether that be a spouse. And I say whether it be a spouse or whether it be a parent, and I'm very aware that they're very different, but it's, it's unnatural. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel right, even when we know we're doing it for the right reasons. You, and, you hit the nail on the head, Tracy. That is that is the hardest. I, I mean, we have been very blessed to be able to, but prior to my dad's official diagnosis, I was already helping manage his finances. I was already helping manage his grocery list. Those things can become such a point of contention. They are a point of contention for so many people that we talk to that show up at the group or people that I talk to on the street that are dealing with this. And even with those things that typically become such a point of controversy, my situation, the emotional roller coaster, I could not imagine adding those additional elements to just the emotional side of it. We had talked earlier, Brady, before we started recording, that I mentioned when I listened to some that I had recorded back when I was at the end of my caregiver's journey. And I'd said to you, oh, wow, there was so much pain in my voice. And you said to me, and you didn't recognize it, did you? And I was like, no, I did not recognize it at the time. What you're describing is just that whole, the journey. That's the caregiver's journey. You're on that ride that one day you're dealing with stuff you never thought you would have to deal with. The next day you're the down on the roller coaster. You're just catching your breath, regrouping. Can I get away for a while? Just give me a minute, a few days. And then another challenge might be there. Thank you for joining us for part one of this caregiver's journey. In our next episode, we're going to pick up Brady's journey at a fork in the road that many caregivers eventually face. What do you do when your loved one can no longer live in his or her home? You can find the next episode of Dementia Caregivers Community Podcast in your favorite podcast player. While you're there, take a minute to give us a review. This helps others find us. And as always, you can find more at alztennessee.org.